This is In the Trenches, Broadcast 33. Welcome to In the Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today's guest is David Nihill, founder of funnybiz.co and author of Do You Talk Funny? Seven Comedy Habits to Become a Better and Funnier Public Speaker. David's been interviewed and featured on major media for his work in comedy and specifically how to apply comedy strategies, stand-up comedy strategies to your business, both speaking and writing. And just some of the places that David's been featured, Inc., Fast Company, Lifehacker, and Forbes, uh, just to name a few. And, and honestly, I brought David on here because, because he's releasing a new book and I want to spread the word about that, but also to dig into his story, how he got into comedy and how that applies to business. So David, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on In the Trenches and thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start out. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, and what you do. Well, yeah, at, at the moment, it's been a lot of uh, introducing uh, comedy into the world of business, which has been a lot more fun than what I did traditionally, which was originally I, I came to the U.S. originally from Ireland, uh, born and raised in Dublin, and moved to the U.S. working with the Irish government, consulting, helping startup companies expand in the U.S. market, um, which sounds fun, but wasn't. It was a lot of PowerPoint and a lot of Excel, like you might imagine with traditional office jobs. And if I wasn't bored enough with that one, I went on to work for PricewaterhouseCoopers afterwards and a mergers and acquisitions division, which was a hell of a lot more PowerPoint and boring presentations. So I guess I think the whole time there was definitely a seed being planted that business was a realm that should have a lot more fun, enjoyment, and pleasure for the people that were in it. Everybody within business seemed to be agreed on that, but very few people seemed to be actually applying these things or, or have a workable, actionable strategy how to do it. Um, and, and Funny Biz was kind of born out of the idea of that, which is the company had at the moment. So that's been taking up my time lately, apart from uh, writing books, which you know well about as well. Yeah, so before we get into the book, which we will in a little bit, um, Tell me about why you entered. So you, but but to do this, so you, you that your background is not in comedy, is it? Definitely not. No, um, I, I'm certainly. I mean, I think all Irish people are in the same boat. We certainly like a good joke, and we like sharing a story, and we like making fun of people. But yeah, no professional comedy, no background, working knowledge of comedy, other than the same as anybody else watching it on TV. So how did you get into it? And and I guess and and I guess to to back up. So you were in a lot of meetings, a lot of PowerPoint slides. They were they were terrible or boring. I know I've been there myself. And you said it would be a lot more enjoyable, a lot more beneficial, maybe even easier to learn this kind of stuff and apply it if the presentations were funnier. So I'm going to go become a stand-up comic. Yeah, no, not quite. Uh, so that one was very, very involuntarily. Uh, it started on a sad note. So I had a very good friend of mine who suffered a serious spinal cord injury. Um, and unknown to me, and I think most people out there, when people suffer a spinal cord injury, a lot of the rehab they go through to try and recover is never covered by insurance companies, or certainly very seldomly. And uh, So they wanted to organize a fundraiser for them to raise some funds. I came up with the idea that it should be a comedy show to kind of lighten the mood and give everyone a, a few well-needed laughs. And it, it was based on the fact that my old next-door neighbor was a touring, uh, very funny stand-up comedian. 
So we asked him to do it. He said he would. There was one missing ingredient that I wasn't anticipating. All my friends didn't really know me as a guy who was afraid of public speaking, which I certainly was, but I just hadn't told anybody. And they really insisted that I host this event because uh, I came up with the idea. So I was so nervous about it and so worried. I I really wanted to prepare. I think it was probably the first presentation or first stage presence or performance in any way of public speaking that I ever properly prepared for. And I did that by studying techniques of stand-up comedy. Because uh, in my mind, stand-up comedians were the best presenters, the most engaging presenters, and they were also the ones to face the most challenging conditions. They're pretty much their performance is assessed about every 12 seconds, uh, which is quite different to the world of uh, business, as you know. Okay, so how? So you jump into this. Where do you where do you begin? Do you actually start doing stand up right away? Yeah, I didn't. I started reading. Actually, I'm a, I'm a bit of a madman when it comes to reading, as you know. So I'm kind of always buried and surrounded by books. I read a lot around it. I watched a lot of TED talks that incorporated humor a lot. I read a lot of psychology orientated books. So I read a lot on on public speaking and performance in general, um, and then I read a lot about stand up comedy. Uh, in around humor, writing, engaging presentations, and tried to put it all into effect. But yeah, I actually went and did some stand-up comedy. I started going to open mic nights, which was pretty harrowing. They actually have a school you can enroll in that teaches you over a couple of weeks uh, principles of stand-up comedy, and they basically throw you on stage in at the deep end. So I did all that for six or seven weeks prior to hosting the charity show. Uh, and it went so well in the end that I actually... I wouldn't say I did better than the full-time comedians that were there, but I certainly did equally as well. And it led to them asking me to open for them at a number of other big famous clubs here in, in San Francisco, which I did. And when I did it, I got a bit of taste for it, and it helped me cure my own fears of public speaking. So I decided to keep the experiment going for one year, kind of in the A.J. Jacobs, Tim Ferriss style, Joshua Four, where they dedicated themselves for a year to figuring something out using 80-20 principles and Pareto's Law to break it down. Uh, I did the same thing with comedy, and I just wanted to to note what I learned the hard way because it was certainly a lot of wisdom I learned over that year that I kept it going for that I really wish I knew for the start. So that was the the basis for the book I've just released, or about to release, I should say. Yeah, well, as of when this goes live, I think it will be in its uh, week of release. That's that's the goal. So if you're listening to this, go to Amazon.com and just search Seven Comedy Habits, and you'll find David's book. But moving on, you know what inspired. I guess that's a good segue. You know, what inspired you after you went through this process to then write a book about it? Yeah, it was just, I mean, public speaking was a huge fear for me. And I figured, I mean, none of my friends knew because I'm, I'm not shy about speaking in general. If you meet me, you, certain th- you wouldn't think I was someone afraid of public speaking. But I just figured a lot of people had the same problem I have. Plus, a lot of people out there in the business world when they start to self-market themselves or they write a book or they start a company, they're suddenly thrust into the realm of being a public speaker. And what they often forget is the minute you step on stage these days, you're expected to be an entertainer. Like you're in show business. People expect you to make them laugh a few times or some lightheartedness in your presentation. And a lot of people didn't know how to do that. So over the course of the year, I certainly learned how to do that for some of the best speakers. So I just wanted to share everything I learned upon the way, but also ultimately it stops us all being subject to pretty boring presentations if everybody's familiar with the same principles of stand-up comedy. Um, So that was the motivation for doing it. Originally, I just wanted to help other people. I started off by doing it as an Udemy course online, an e-learning course to test the principles and structure just so I knew that I was getting the messaging right and actually helping people. And then that that itself became the the premise and the the layout for the book. Okay, great. So, Tell me a little bit about 
you know, I think probably the, the thing I'm curious about, and I think the listeners should be curious about, well, I guess there, there might be two things. One, that, that course. So was the, so I st- I'll start with this. The, the course itself, was that a, did you, had you, so just to clarify, had you intended to write a book first or did you just kind of try it out as a Udemy course first? I um, did. I had the idea to write a book about it. So I, I figured the most effective way to get it and the way it would get most traction or I could help most people would be to write a book about it. Um, I didn't quite know the best structure to write that book or the chapter structure. So the, I, w- I was wondering and searching, was there any way of testing that interactively as I was writing it? So the idea I had was to put it together as an e-course that way I could experiment with different names and titles and structures and reach out to people and get interactive feedback as I went along. So what made sense to you? What didn't make sense to you? Do the chapters flow? So I think for traditional writers, that may come in an afterthought as an editorial process and a restructuring. But for me, it actually managed to be a work-in process with actively live readers. They were just engaging the content in a different form. They were listening to it, but it was still the same basis as the book. Interesting. Yeah, I think that yeah, that course now has just over four thousand people signed up, uh, which surprised me a lot. But it kind of proved nearly proof of concept, and it proved interest in the topic area, and it proved to me that there was definitely a problem there that a lot of people don't like admitting to that they're afraid of public speaking, and there was certainly an aspiration there that most people. It's like asking them, "Do you want to be better in bed, or do you want to be a better driver?" Most people want to be a little bit funnier. So at one time, it was helping people get over a fear, and then and the other end, it was helping them meet an aspiration. Cool. So, so tell me a little bit about this. So, I want to get into the kind of nuts and bolts of the book too. At some at some point, a little bit here, uh, you know, kind of what makes a a person a, a better speaker, a better public speaker. How do we incorporate this this these techniques and these habits into our speaking? But before I get to that, I'm curious about this because you created this course, which I think is actually ingenious to create the course, get feedback. And use that in, in the context of very specifically saying, I'm going to write a book, but this is the best way to, for me to test it out because I'm going to get immediate feedback. Was that the case? And, and do you think that because you released as a course, that courses somehow, some way are easier to digest and therefore create better feedback from people? Like as opposed to like writing a book and trying to get feedback like chapter by chapter or something like that? Yeah, I think, well, one key thing was the course I was selling for a higher price point than a book. So if you pay a larger chunk of money for something, you're more likely to be engaged with it. So I was selling that course online for $59. Now, often it was discounted, but with people paying for that and actively engaged in it at a higher price point, they were more likely to respond to me. And they were more when I emailed them and asked them how the course was going. Plus, I could see the levels of content that they consumed. So if somebody dropped off at 5 or 6% into it or 10%, I could write to them and go, hey, you know, what did I do wrong here? What wasn't right? So as I tweaked the course over the time I went through it, and you start to see those rates going up to 100% consumption, then you know you're doing something right. And those guys are more likely to give you active feedback. And as you know, as a writer, you don't get that. Like You don't see the stats on how many pages of your book are being read. And so it was a really nice insight into the um, just the way that people consume your material and also to get feedback from them actively. Yeah, and get paid in the process. Um, yeah, I mean, it, ultimately, it covers the cost of producing, marketing, and selling the book and put some money on the table for me to go kite surfing in Brazil for a month. There you go. I like that plan. I'm taking <laughs> yeah, mental, yeah. mental notes. I'm, ri- I'm writing this down. Thanks very much. Yeah, it was just, I hadn't heard of it. I hadn't read it online, but it just seemed to make sense to me. And Udemy at the time was a growing platform that just raised another round of funding. So they were actively doing the promotion on your half. So as somebody who didn't have a user base or a reader base or an email list to market to, it effectively gave me 4,000 people to be in touch with who are already familiar with what I would like to teach or what I would like to help them with. 
Yeah, that's incredible. So tell me a little bit about the feedback, and then we'll get to the actual, we'll get to the, the, the tactics for becoming a better and funnier public speaker. But tell me a little bit about the feedback you got when you, you said you could tell how many people had gone through your course. You could reach out to them. Like, you said, tell me a little bit about that process and what the feedback was like. How many people actually responded? Was that useful information? Like, were they useful critiques? Yeah, they were actually. It was it was good, especially on the examples I provided or the short stories I provided. I, the the difference a little bit in the e courses is people really want to see you in there. So actively, and originally, what I had done was just record my voice over a slide share presentation, which was wasn't much effort to put it together on my behalf. And to be honest, it wasn't exactly the greatest quality course. So over the last few months, I've tweaked that to put myself in there, to put different video in there. And then a lot of the video examples I draw upon I included that I know the users were enjoying and consuming. They're the ones I then reference in the book as well, because I know they, they're the best examples I have that were enjoyed by people that reinforced, reinforced the learning points I'm trying to make. Um, so the response rates were pretty good, especially as the quality of the course increased and my own research increased and what I was able to get down on paper and teach to them and increased. So, you know, when you put out a book, you're actively, you're a mentor to somebody in one role or another. You know, a lot of people find it hard to reach out and engage mentors and they, like me, they turn to books sometimes instead. Books effectively become your mentors and it being a mentor in a book is a very passive role. You don't often get to engage with all these people unless you're going around speaking engagements, whereas the course actively allowed me to do that. So overall, very good, very positive, and very good comments, very good feedback. Okay, great. So let's dive into how do I become a better and funnier public speaker? Yeah, I mean, something I learned the hard way. So I guess, the, and it's the core basis of the company we have, Funny Biz, as well. But the core argument is a book that a lot of speakers forget that everything good starts with a story. And the best stand-up comedians are often the best storytellers. They, they take a story, they weave it correctly, they break it down to its shortest, most effective amount of words, and they punch it up. And they give strong takeaways at the end. They have a strong start and an even stronger finish. The kind of structure you see in stand-up comedy and in storytelling and joke-telling, that structure gets used by the best business public speakers. The difference is a lot of business public speakers don't know they're doing it. They don't know they're delivering information in groups of trees, which comedians all the time. They don't know joke structure, but they find it by trial and error. Uh, they don't know that everything has to be weaved in a, in a story that most people expect an uplifting element to, an element of humor. So the core argument of the book that to be a better speaker, you learn a lot and deliver a lot from techniques stand-up comedy uh, performers and writers have. But you also wrap everything in a story which allows people's minds to actually remember it and process it and makes you more likely to stand out as a speaker. Okay, great stuff. So tell me, do you start with the story or do you start with the point you're trying to make and then figure out some story that's going to fit that? Yeah, well, you always start with the, the end close. So what's your main takeaway and what's the very last line of your presentation? And then you work your way back from that to put with a story. So you're effectively starting with a story, but at the start you want to figure out how that story ends. What's the main message from your story? And then you want to craft it in a way where the user or the person who's consuming the content or listening to your story can actually see themselves in your shoes. So it's very important to deliver that story as a relatable experience to people. So how you start that becomes very, very important. So in the book, we'd advise that you start very general. Uh, so for example, if I have a story about me being in China or going and traveling to China, the, one of the examples I give in the book, is that you don't start the story like that. You start the story like, hey, you know, you know, there's a time when it can be difficult to travel to a new place, or it's not easy to be in a new place, and then you make it specific to you. This is what happened to me in China, 
and here's all the details and here's the core takeaways. And, but it borrows a lot from any great movie you've ever seen, any series or sitcom on TV will always kind of have the core underlying story of what, who is the main character and what do they want and what's stopping them from getting it. And that same premise can be applied to your business story or product or your own book. But, you know, if you're out there selling something, the assumption is that you've solved a problem or you have a solution to some problem. If you don't have a solution to a problem, then you don't really have much to be selling. And your way of pitching and delivering a story is putting the user within that story and they can see themselves facing that problem. So, yeah, everything starts with a story. Okay, so does it matter if this this story is first person should be third person should it be you know second person talk like you you know uh, what's the best way or you know to, yeah to no actually... the, the best way is to make it personable to you so make the best story you can share is one that happened to you and um, but you want the user to be able to see themselves in your shoes so you should always deliver it in the first person about you but you should always deliver it in the present tense the whole idea is that you're creating nearly a scene of a movie right in front of their eyes so it's never like i walked over and i saw it's like so i'm walking and i see yeah, when you deliver that story and there's a big big difference on engagement when that happens okay so act or pre- present tense um, yeah, always write in the present tense and always deliver it in the present tense. Even okay. if the story happened to you 10 years ago, you're, you to get most interest and engagement in that story, you want to paint the picture for them like it's happening right now when you tell it. Okay, cool. So what else? Be, beyond just you know the story, beyond then telling that story in the present tense, what else? what else matters? Yeah, I mean, when when it comes to adding humor, delivering content, and using the magic rule of three, which a lot of people don't know about, but the core of a tree is something that's used. Irish people can't pronounce it, obviously. So uh, <laughs> I'm used to people going, "What? What was that number? What did you just say?" Um, but the rule of three is pretty core to all marketing and messaging. I mean, TED isn't called TED Talks by chance, like technology, uh, education, and design. Everything, all the sports ones from CNN to NBC. Um, all the way through deliverable sex lies and videotape anything catchy Nike slogan just do it blood sweat and tears you name it it all comes down to tree elements because tree is the quickest pattern the mind can recognize as something that's going to be repetitive and should be memorable and so basically people become trained to laugh on the third element of that set and it's normally an element of surprise and that's the key ingredient in all great joke writing uh, is taking somebody in a direction where you want them to go with the first two elements in a triple set, and then the third item becomes a, a surprise or an unexpected twist. And you'll see that sequence, I mean, in all presidential speech, in all great script writing, uh, at all the heart of all stand-up comedy and all things funny, you're always going to see that n- magic number three in repetitive sequence. Uh, but it's just one of the many, many things you can incorporate and borrow from the world of stand-up comedy. Right, and so immediately applicable, I think, is how we describe, you know, features or benefits or what we're doing. Um, exactly. And so I see that, but then you're also saying three in terms of story arc, correct? Beginning, middle, end. Yeah. And how we exactly. deliver the entire entirety of the presentation. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I mean, tree. It's in different elements. So if you want to be memorable, you should always. You'll always find that in marketing. It comes in a set of tree, and that's basically the key structure to a story: beginning, middle, and end. But it's also any joke within that story that you want to structure is the same thing. It's always going to be a setup, as comedians do. So basically, make the topic relatable to everybody, 
and then build an anticipation, and then you have your punchline, and then you have taglines. And it always comes in that sequence. Punchline is the main joke line, taglines being any additional comments you have on that joke. But whether you're showing a funny image or a funny video or anything in your presentation, it always follows the same pattern. Okay. And and so so okay so that, that that makes sense to me. What else is there? Anything else then beyond this? Um, you know, do do we include? You know, do I have to? Because the thing is, like, if I'm not naturally funny, or if I'm I, I'm you know speaking or presenting on a business topic, say like book publishing or yep. or something like that, like, do I do I have to actively like go out and like or or try to like create my own jokes, or you know, what do I do in that context? No, I mean, you, you just basically, you want to pick a pain point. So everybody has a pain point and the good, the root of all good humor is a pain point. And it's the exact same thing as a good product. The root of a good product is a pain point. The root of a good book is a pain point. And that kind of becomes the easiest way for you to write jokes. First, you find a pain point. So you're talking about book publishing. What are the pain points around that? And you'll find likely that a humorous story describing your pain point and how you solved it is a great way to open that talk or presentation and make it relatable to people. And but it always the root of good comedy is in pain and suffering, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I, those definitely make the best jokes, of course. So, okay, so understanding that, how do I actually? I guess how do I? You know, even if, if I take a personal story, how do I actually like find the funny? Or, or, or figure out, you know, how to create like a, 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 a funny joke or something that people will laugh or applaud at. Um, yeah, no. For, um, well, what I, what I do normally would advise people is to start by making a list of stories. So know everything. Every single one of us has had something funny happen to us at some stage in life. And often you just need something to jog your memory. Like you need to hear somebody tell a similar story or you go to a comedy club and you're like, oh, yeah, something like that happened to me. And it's, it's amazing how easily we forget those experiences. So the first and easiest advice I would have to people is to make a list of stories and funny antidotes that have happened to you. And then you want to pick your favorites. So you want to pick ones that you're already comfortable telling people. So you're not trying to write anything too detailed. You're not trying to come up with anything new and witty and funny. You're not trying to be the next Jerry Seinfeld. You simply want to take a list of these stories, pick the ones that you like the most and you're most comfortable telling, and write them out in their entirety. And when you write them out, you know which part is the funny part. And your goal now as a speaker or someone on stage is going to be to get to that funny part quicker. To do that, you use comedy writing techniques like joke structure. And that forces people, it's an enforced brevity, basically. It, it forces you to cut out words that are unnecessary. So comedians will actually go through stories like that, audibly say them out loud, record themselves, write them out, go back and cut out words that are unnecessary. And then when you see them on a live stage, in a live show, they're going to give you the most effective, shortest version. And that, unfortunately, in the world of business is not what we get too often. And they'll get a story, but it's kind of long-winded. There might be something funny in there, but because of all the unnecessary details, uh, it doesn't have as much impact as it could. So the first way to actively do this is to get that list of stories down, take your favorite ones, write them out, and then cut out words so you can get to the funny part or the thing that you think is amusing as quick as possible. And once you have that list of stories, you want to link them to general topics. So your story doesn't have to be about book publishing necessarily. It could be something that happened to you as a kid, and now you're adapting it to fit within the, the message you want to deliver your story. So, I mean, it can be a very... 
macro story and then you break it down to a micro point that you want to make within the thing. So you can start pretty general with the funny story you have and then get specific with the message you want to deliver. Okay, cool. So that's that's interesting. So really if I'm if I'm presenting on something or I'm teaching something and I want to to implement some of the, the techniques and the habits that you talk about in in your book, I should I, it actually doesn't matter necessarily that the or the story can be um doesn't have to be directly related to the topic. I just exactly. have to draw the parallel. Exactly. Yeah, it's up for you to draw the parallel. So that way you can choose from much more stories in your topic. Now, you don't want it to be off-counter, but it doesn't have to be exactly immediately visibly correlated. A couple of extra words from you will do nicely to take the key lesson from that funny story and make it applicable to the message you want to deliver or the topic you're speaking on. Where is that line between funny and inappropriate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. I mean, you can ask Sony at the moment. They're probably struggling with that one over movies. Um, but yeah, it's a hard one. I, I would encourage your listeners to check out The Humor Code or Benign Violation Theory by Dr. Peter uh, McGraw out of Colorado, Colorado which he does a, a really good job of explaining that, what's funny, what's not. But it comes down to a theory he has called Benign Violation Theory, which basically sets out when it's okay to laugh. So if somebody's visibly getting hurt or visibly might be offended from the statement, there's a fine line between someone else seeing themselves in that experience, so it's something that might happen to them, or it's a little bit too close to, to home. Um, but I'd say, yeah, it's, I mean, he wrote a book about it. It's a tough one to explain. If everybody knew the answer, there'd be no big gaffes, uh, like the one that Sony and many other companies make on a yearly basis. It's a tough one to get your head around, but I would. He has a really good blog and a good book on it. Books called The Humor Code. I'd say definitely check it out rather than getting a crazy explanation from me. But I mean, <laughs> the, my advice in my book is to just keep it clean, uh, keep it offensive, pick easy targets. So if you want to make fun of government, a local celebrity, or a football team, like you're always on pretty safe ground. Uh, if you want to stay away from ethnic minority groups, any form of racist orientated jokes or sexist comments, you know, you always keep it clean. In comedy, they say keep it above the waist. Uh, so everything below the waist, you're into risky ground. Um, gotcha. But yeah, our, our idea in this one, you know, it's, it's not to have anything that could ever be construed as being risky. Uh, the benefits to that versus, you know, the negative consequences of it. Mm. It's just not worth the trade-off ways. So that's why we want to stick with a bunch of stories. If they're stories that are easily happened to you, it's something you've experienced. You've probably told it already, so you have a good idea if you've offended your grandmother at Christmas dinner. Uh, you know, if anyone took offense to it, what you don't want to be on stage is trying out some new material that you think is funny and has the potential to offend anybody. Yeah, a good point. I guess especially important for business people i feel like if you're doing comedy you can almost get away with it yeah but, i mean in comedy nobody's going to quote you as saying something in the newspaper the next day you know you're pretty safe dave Chappelle came out and said this about white people last <laughs> night you know nobody's going to go around to his house and start trying to burn him yeah uh, there's going to be no crazy riots and, and no consequences to that for the most part mm -hmm. um but yeah we we want to stay away from anything that could be construed as risky from a business point of view the risks are just they're too high Gotcha. Okay, so now what makes a joke fall flat? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things can do it. Your delivery of it can be one. I mean, the room itself, so how the audience, have they been laughing already? Has the person that went on before you bored the pants out of them? Are they engaged in any way, shape, or form? So it's a kind of mix of your delivery, the surroundings. Some places just aren't too conducive to a lot of big laughter. If you're in a venue, you know, traditionally a conference venue is really high ceilings. It's in some rented hotel space. 
it's laughter really transfers between people and it bounces also as well audibly. So the more laughter there is in a room and the lower the ceilings are, the more contagious laughter tends to be. So there's a lot of weird little things like that that affect how big the laughs you're going to get and how likely your joke is to fall flat. But if it does fall flat, I mean, you can make a joke about it falling flat. So comedians don't worry about a joke falling flat. They will simply acknowledge it. So a great technique for all public speakers is to vocalize the likely thoughts of people in the room. So they call that calling the room. So if you told a joke and it's rubbish, you just say, oh man, that joke worked best yesterday, uh, much better on my dog. Or my mother really likes that one. Don't know what's wrong with you guys today. And just pause for a second and they'll laugh. Once you recognize that your joke didn't work, they'll laugh at you because of your efforts. Um, the only problem with a joke falling flat is when you think it went really well in your mind and just keep going as if you're the funniest person in the room. So an important element here is recognizing your stories, your words, and their impact on the audience. Exactly. Yeah, and comedians will call that calling the room. So they will always vocalize the likely thoughts of the audience at any given occurrence in the room. So if somebody falls over when they're bringing a drink or drops something or a fire alarm goes off, uh, something strange happens in a room, the temperature is too high. If, if there's something people are likely thinking, like if you spill um, a coffee on your shirt before you went on stage and they can see that stage, anything visible, anything strange, you need to address it. So for me, when I start talking with an Irish accent, I know they're going to be confused for the first 30 seconds. Some of them are going to be wondering where I'm from. Some of them are going to be wondering if I'm drunk. Uh, some of them they could be <laughs> in anything. There's a million thoughts in their mind, but the most obvious thing for the first 30 seconds about me is either my physical appearance, what I look like in any way, or my voice. So what's wrong? What's a little bit different about this person? So it's up to you to address the obvious uh, and then move on to the key messages you want to have. If you don't do that, you don't get as much attention to the actual words and the message you're trying to deliver. Do the same rules apply to writing, or is it different in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, well, I guess the key, they do. Um, the key argument in the book is that comedians, a lot of comedians aren't naturally funny. So they learn by trial and error. And as they improve their stand-up comedy, at the root of that is always the improved skill of writing. So being a good comedian and being funny always comes down to mastering the skill of writing, to being more efficient in your writing. Now, that writing for live delivery and for um, in a book, for example, are a little bit different. A book will paint a picture in a much more detailed manner to draw in the reader, uh, whereas stand-up comedy tends to get to the point a lot quicker because you have a very short-form amount of time. So I guess my argument in the book that is traditional keynotes are dead. I expect them not to last much longer. 45 minutes to an hour is just too long in our modern worlds with all the distractions we have available to listen some, to somebody for a long time. Ted recognized that, and their talks were originally 18 minutes. Now you're seeing a bunch of talks from them between 8 and 10 minutes. 10 minutes is the amount of time that your brain starts to wander, that your focus diminishes. And the best public speakers know that they have to re-engage people at around the 10-minute mark. Um, so my argument in the book is that if you learn these enforced writing techniques that stand-up comedians have mastered over the year and used them, you're a lot more likely to be well-positioned to deliver a more engaging, short-form, impactful message within a reduced period of time, which is probably what you're going to likely to get in the future stage time-wise. Good stuff. Okay, great. Well, Dave, we're already hitting the 30-minute mark, so I kept you about 10 minutes longer than I told you that I would. So That's all right. Uh, I'll forgive you. It's, uh, it's, it's um, tough to stop us <laughs> Irish people talking, you know, once we get going. 
No, it was great stuff, man. I really appreciate it. But before we let you go, one, it was obviously great having you on here and, and giving us your info and, and, and teaching us about this because I think it's incredibly useful for myself and I'm sure the listeners feel the same way. But that said, it's probably, you know, I think we're just scraping the surface here. I think people should check out your book, but where else can people find you and, and where can they find your book? Yeah, I mean, they can find a book online. So go to sevencomedyhabits.com. If they're listening to this, just when we brought it out, they can grab a free copy for the first couple of days if they're within the first few. Um, I'm available, David, at funnybiz.co, or you can check out our company, funnybiz.co. We run a series of conferences, and we also have a platform that allows people to submit content and benefit from the skills of a bunch of comedy writers to make it more entertaining if they can't do it themselves. But yeah, I'm pretty easy to track down. Perfect. Um, well, David, it was great having you on, man, and thank you so much. I hope your future career in comedy goes well and you keep making people laugh and uh, educating them. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you're interested in checking out the show notes, just head over to tomworkers.com slash podcast to see our latest episodes. Also, I just wanted to give a quick update to fans and listeners of In the Trenches and specifically what I'm working on right now. For the past two years, I've been publishing books, my own and others, through Insurgent Publishing, my boutique publishing company. In the past six months alone, I've helped four individual authors launch their books to bestseller on Amazon, including Dan Norris's The Seven Day Startup and David Nihil's Do You Talk Funny, among others. And both of those books are still top of the charts months after launch. I've learned two important things from all this. Number one, that people still read books. And believe it or not, they're willing to pay for the good ones. And number two, the $60 billion book industry is only getting bigger and the barrier to entry is only getting lower, which means access to this market has never been closer to the average writer, blogger, or author. It is literally within the grasp of anyone who wants it. But you need to know how to approach it the right way, with patience, with a strategy, and with the right implementation and execution. That's why I've been able to launch so many bestsellers, many that are still top of the charts, because we brought great books to the people who wanted and would pay for them. No slimy sales tactics, just honest, powerful marketing. Now, I want to show other authors and publishers how to do the same. Four months ago, I launched the pre-beta to a new super-secret platform called Publishers Empire. In that time, I've helped a dozen authors and publishers start to bring their ideas to life. And with their help and feedback, we've quickly developed what is, in my opinion, the best, most comprehensive publishing training platform in the world. And now I'm getting ready to open the doors up to a few more students. So if you're interested in being part of a tight-knit family of publishers who help and support one another through their writing and publishing projects, if you want access to over 100 HD training videos to take you through the writing and publishing process, if you want access to proven copy-and-paste book marketing and sales copy, stuff that we've used to launch bestsellers, and if you'd like professional book covers and templates you could plug your own work into and look like a pro in minutes. And if you'd like all of that while getting the chance to be mentored by me, check out PublishersEmpire.com and sign up to be notified when we launch. That's www.PublishersEmpire.com. I hope to see you there. As always, this is Tom Morcus. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www. 
TomMorkis.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.